This morning we took a look at a number of things in which we'd fill out the blank of the expression, God of. It was God of all grace, it was God of all comfort, God of mercy, God of peace, God of patience and consolation, and God of the living. And then on this side, we filled in the blank of a number of things that are of God. And we spoke about how election is of God and how that the fact that we are the family of God and how that um, we're the sons of God and children of God and heirs of God, etc. I'd like to continue a little bit in that line this afternoon, but I'd like to take a look at something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, we mentioned this morning how that he had asked the question, who do the men say that I, the son of man, am? And the apostle Peter came up with the right answer when he said, I believe that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then pronounced a blessing upon him and said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee, but my father which is in heaven. Then Jesus told Peter and the disciples something was going to happen in the near future. He said the day was going to come in which he would go into Jerusalem and he would be betrayed to the hands of men. And the chief priests, scribes, and elders would take him and kill him, and he'd be raised again after the third day. Upon making that prophetic statement, we find where Peter spoke again. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. Not so. These things shall not be. Jesus rebuked Peter. He told him to get thee behind me, Satan. He says, For thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Now we notice the expression again, of God and of men. There are things that are of men, and there are things that are of God. And the Apostle Peter, with his response to the statement of the Lord, was not savoring the things that be of God, but rather he was in the flesh. I'm sure he was sincere, but he was savoring the things that be of men. We come up here to the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, and you find where Peter and the disciples uh, were preaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were threatened. In fact, when they got through with this particular message, we find where uh, the enemy were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. But there was a man by the name of Gamal. Gamal is a very well-known teacher of the law. In fact, the most famous teacher of the law among the Jewish people, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, said that he grew up at the feet of Gamal. He was a doctor of the law of the highest reputation. And Gamal told those who took counsel to slay those disciples, he said, there was a man one time named Thutis, and 400 men attached themselves to him. But in time he perished, and the 400 men were scattered. Then there was a man named Judas of Galilee. He likewise had a following, and likewise he perished, and those that followed him were scattered. He says, take heed what you do to these men. In fact, he counseled them to leave them alone. He said, for these things be of God, you can't overthrow it. If they be of men, they'll amount to nothing. So we have two examples here where there are things of men and there are things of God. Now we've been talking about things of God that cannot be overthrown. We've been talking about things of God that are going to be. You go back to Matthew chapter 16, when the Lord said that he was going to go to Jerusalem and be betrayed. 
into the hands of the chief priests, scribes, and elders, and he would be crucified or killed. That was going to take place. That was of God. Now, God allowed the wicked men to exercise their wicked minds with their wicked hearts and take the course of wicked, their wicked nature. He allowed them to do that. But there had been prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about the coming Messiah. The 22nd Psalm, the 24th Psalm, the 69th Psalm, all give very deep details about the life of Christ concerning his sufferings, his crucifixion. Isaiah chapter 53 spoke about he was numbered with the transgressors, that's the two thieves, how that um, he would uh, make his you know, death and all with the rich, as Joseph Arimathea. And so that 53rd chapter give very clear prophetic details of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He grew up uh, as a root out of dry ground, without form, without compass, no beauty about him, we should desire him. These things were of God. Uh, Jesus was appointed before time ever began to come into this world and live the life he lived and accomplish salvation, to obtain eternal redemption, to obtain righteousness and justification on behalf of the family that he, God had given him before time ever began. Those are some of the things of God. And those things cannot be overthrown. I'm very thankful to proclaim that to you. That's good news and glad tidings to us. Uh, God cannot be overthrown. So there are things of God that we need to rejoice in. For example, take the love of God. We'll go over to the book of uh, 1 John chapter 4. I think about verse 7 and we find where the apostle John said, Beloved, love one another for love is of God. So we'll fill that blank in over here. Love is of God. True love comes from God. The word of is kind of a connecting word. Uh, almost, I think of it like a conduit, so to speak, which you run things through. And it connects uh, something on both ends here. And we see the love of God that shows the source of the love. It comes from up above. It comes from heaven. It comes from God himself. So he says, Brother, love one another, for love is of God. And he that loveth knoweth God and is born of God. But he that loveth not knoweth not God. Notice the sharp distinction here. He that loveth is born of God. He that loveth not is not born of God. Love is of God. Very thankful for that. You go to the end of the book of Second Thessalonians, excuse me, Corinthians, and you'll see how Paul closes this out by speaking about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love, of the, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost. Here are three things: the love of Christ, communion of the Holy Ghost, and the grace of grace of God. These are things that are of God. And this is why you're here this afternoon, because you have been the recipient of the love of God. You've been the recipient of these things that are of God. God's the author of it. God's the source of it. He's the fountainhead, you might say. So the love of God, what a wonderful subject that is. And that's hours and hours of preaching when it comes to the love of God and what all that entails. We see, you know, the magnitude of it. When God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Um, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, we should be called the sons of God. Uh, he shows you the manner of this kind of love here. It's a sacrificial love. 
the greatest love that man could possibly ever be acquainted with. If you look in 2 Corinthians 5 and 14, Paul says, For the love of Christ, love of, again the blank, love of Christ, constraineth us. And we thus judge, if one died for all, then all were dead. That just simply means all whom Christ died for, uh, they were dead, and he had to die for them. If one died for all, then all were dead. And the fact that he that liveth, uh, you know, on behalf of those that were dead, as he died in their room instead, that we which live should not live unto ourselves, but unto him that died for us and rose again. That shows, you know, our responsibility is to live unto him. He died for us. He rose again. We were dead in trespass and sins. Uh, the love of Christ constraineth us. We thus judge if one died for all. He did. He died for all whom the Father gave him. Then all were dead. If they had not been dead, it would not require the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they were. That was their condition by nature. According to the law of sin and death. So it required a sacrifice, an offering. And Jesus Christ was the only one that could possibly obtain that or do that. So another great example of his love. In the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul says um, that it was not necessary for him to write unto them concerning the love of God, for they had been taught of God to love one another. Now, you see, you just don't love God by nature. And you just don't love God because somebody says you ought to love God. God created you and God made you and all that's true. And you certainly should respect God as the great creator. Uh, but that's not going to make you love God. You, your heart says there is no God to begin with. The fool has said in his heart, Psalm 14, 1, that there is no God. That heart will never, ever love God until it experiences a transplant. Until it experiences an operation of grace upon that heart to give it eternal life. But the nature of Christ, divine nature within, and that divine nature then loves God. Till that happens, that's not going to be the case at all. So, little children, you have no need to write on you concerning uh, brotherly love. He says, for you should love one another as you've been taught of God to love one another. It requires the teaching of God. Gospel ministers are to teach. It's one of their qualifications. 1 Timothy 3.1, if any man desire the office of bishop, he desireth a good work. He must be apt to teach. But I cannot teach you to love God. I can teach you about the love of God. I can teach you you should love God. Your life should represent a love for God. You should manifest the love of God in your life. I can teach you those things that the Bible teaches us. But I cannot teach your heart to love God. Only God can teach your heart to love Him. Now Jesus made that clear if you look in John 6, 44 and 45. Over there he says, No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up again at the last day. As is written, they shall all be taught of God. Now notice here, they shall all be taught of God, not about God. They shall be taught of God. We've got another of God here. Taught of God, you see. He didn't say be taught about God. You know, I, I try to teach you about God. I try to study the scriptures so I can teach you about God. You study the Bible so you can learn about God. But I can't do what that verse says. It says they all shall be taught. It says the prophet said this, written in the prophet, they shall all be taught of God. It takes God to teach you in your heart to love him. It takes God to draw you with his everlasting love. As the book of Jeremiah teaches, I've 
Love thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. So love is of God. You are taught of God to love him. So I, I, I like these two of gods that we have. These are the things of God. And they cannot be overthrown. The things of God cannot be overthrown. Men may, men may disregard them. Men may not believe them. Men may set them aside. Men, men may dislike them. Men can treat them any way they want to, but these are things of God that cannot be overthrown. Now, I want to savor the things of God. <laughs> uh, I want to rejoice in the things of God. Look in John 1.29, and John the Baptist pointed out a man that was coming, coming toward a group of them there. And he pointed him out, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. We've got another blank filled in, don't we? Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The sin of this world is under consideration. It would have to be removed. It had to be taken away. It would require an offering, a sacrifice. All the lambs, all the sheep of the Old Testament pointed to this. They all looked down through the future, through hundreds of years, to this very moment right here. When Jesus made his arrival, when Jesus made his manifestation, you might say. Jesus has lived a pretty obscure life for 30 years. The only thing we really know about him is uh, when he was 12 years old. And what we read about him in Luke chapter 2. But now he comes on the scene and John the Baptist is baptizing in the river Jordan. And John points him out. He says, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I'm thankful for this Lamb of God, spelled with a capital L. Uh, he could have said, Behold Jesus that taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Christ which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Son of God that taketh away the sin of the world. All that would have been true. That would have been a true statement. But he didn't say Son of God. He didn't say Messiah. He didn't say the Christ. He didn't say Jesus. He said Lamb. That's because the prophet's been talking about a lamb. Isaiah 53 portrays Jesus Christ as a lamb whom the Lord placed the iniquities of us all upon this particular lamb, you see. So he points him out as the lamb of God. In John 6 and 32 and 33, Jesus has reference to an experience Israel had in the wilderness when God fed them with manna. Manna was a bread. That bread, the Israelites had never seen manna before. This was brand new to them. And God gave it to them. They went out and collected it every morning. They didn't have to sow the seed and water the seed and the seed come up and have a harvest and go gather it in like they did the barley and the rye and the grain. God just gave it to them. It fell every night. It came from above. It came from heaven. Uh, this manna is a picture of Jesus Christ. Christ came down from heaven. He came down in the night season, the standpoint of the condition the Jewish people were in at the time of the arrival of Christ. God, is, manna was God's gift to Israel. Jesus Christ was God's gift to his people. So that manna was just like the Lord Jesus Christ, or Christ is the antitype of the manna. The manna was round. Uh, that which is round represents eternity without a particular beginning and a particular end. It was white, uh, the symbolic of purity in the word of God that symbolized the sinless life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was sweet to their taste, 
And John Newton wrote to him, how sweet, the, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. Whose ear? A believer's ear. It's not a sweet sound to the unbeliever's ear. Just another sound. You know, that's why David said, blessed are they that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Uh, I, I believe what I try to preach to you each Sunday here is a joyful sound, is it not? And <laughs> it brings joy to your mind, bring joy to your heart to hear about such a loving, caring, compassionate Jesus who was willing to leave heaven and come here to this world and, and live the life he lived and to die for you, to bring you to heaven one day. That's a joyful sound. And blessed are those that know the joyful sound, not just hear the joyful sound, they know the joyful sound. They understand the joyful sound. They can discern the joyful sound. They can detect this sound is different from all the other sounds that you hear out here in life. This sound is different. This is a joyful sound. It's about your Savior. It's about your salvation. It's about your deliverance from sin, you see. So the Lord Jesus Christ was that bread. John 6, 33, he says, For God give you that bread, uh, uh, the bread of God, the Lamb of God, now the bread of God, the love of God. Here's the bread of God in contrast to the manna. He says, Your fathers ate that manna and died. It sustained them day by day. It gave them what they stood in need of to continue day by day by day in their earthly journey in the wilderness. But they died. But whosoever partaker of this bread will never die. This bread is Jesus Christ, you see. So I, I like that particular fill in blank there, that he is the bread of God, that he is the Lamb of God, the manifestation of the love of God, uh, John 5, 25 says, Behold, truly, truly, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming now, so when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Here's the voice of the Son of God. John gives us a lot of these fill-ins for the blank, doesn't he? You read John's Gospel, you can fill in a lot of blanks here when it comes to the expression, blank of God. Hear the voice of the Son of God. Again, we notice, not the words of the Son of God, I try to preach to you the words of the Son of God on a regular basis. I've been preaching to you the words of the Son of God this morning. I've been preaching to you the words of the Son of God this afternoon. But it's not the words of the Son of God. It's the voice of the Son of God. It's only the voice of the Son of God that has life-giving capabilities, life-giving power that can speak to a heart that's dead in trespass and sin and give life to that heart, just like Jesus did at the grave of Lazarus. I just don't know of a clear example I mean, if you, if you, I don't know how you can miss this. You have to have help to miss this. You have to have professional people to guide you away from this. It's their purpose so you don't see this. When Jesus went to the grave of Lazarus, he called Lazarus personally, he called him individually, and he's the only one who came forth, and he did come forth. The disciples could have called on him from the sunrise to the sunset, and he never would have twitched a muscle, my friends, because he'd remained dead. They could have told him all the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. They could have said in the last one, the Lamb of God has come. The Lamb of God, the Word of God has come. The creator of the universe, he has come. Born to Mary, uh, you know, and all the things about him up to that time. They could have told him all of that and last would remain in the tomb because he was dead. So what's it going to take? He's going to take the voice of the Son of God. When you're talking to somebody, if you could just use that illustration. 
Uh, I mean, if you can't get them to see that one, uh, then, uh, you know, you've done about all you can do. That's just all I can say about it. It was out of the hands of the disciples, you know, and I'm so glad it's out of my hands. I mean, I've had people tell me, well, Brother Lawrence, what you are preaching here about grace, election, all that, you're taking salvation out of the hands of men, leaving the hands of God. And I said, what's wrong with that? <laughs> that suits me to a T. Why would I want salvation in my hands, in your hands? You want your salvation in my hands? You've known me long enough to know how frail I am, how weak I am. I, uh, I'm just a human being like anybody else. You don't want your salvation in my hands, I tell you that now. And thank God they're not. You're in the hands of Christ. You're in the hands of God. I love these of gods, just like, just like I love the God of. The God of mercy. The God of patience. The God of all comfort. The God of peace and consolation. The God of the living. And the God of all grace. That's all wonderful things there. But I love the of gods on this side over here too. Just fill in the blank. And like I said, I filled 83 of them in, and uh, I kind of got exhausted. <laughs> I'm going through it, had to take a break. I know it's more than 83. I got 83 of them, and I did not exhaust it all of these of gods. And they're all good. They're all, you know, profitable and beneficial for you to just take a look. You read your Bible, and you read an of Christ, or an of God, just pause for a moment or two. Look what's under consideration. And hopefully it'll be another truth that will make you free and will encourage you.